want to share with you uh, some results of a recent study that was done. Gallup did a study a few years back, but another organization updated some of their findings on the sleep habits of Americans. Uh, I want to share with you some of the results of that. Uh, 35% of Americans do not get the recommended seven hours of sleep per night. They recommend you get seven hours a night. 35% of Americans get less than that. Uh, Americans currently get, on average, of about 6.8 hours of sleep per night, which is close, right? It's close. It's not quite that seven hours that's recommended, but it gets a little disturbing when you consider that in 1920, the average American got nine hours of sleep per night. So we are not getting as much sleep as we used to, and the argument can be made that we're a lot busier, we're doing more with less sleep, which leads to roughly 20% of Americans have a sleep disorder of some kind. They have trouble sleeping, stands to reason, right? Since 1985, the percentage of adults getting less than six hours of sleep a night has increased by 31%. Americans are getting less and less sleep. All right, teenagers, here you go. This one's not surprising. 97% of teenagers get less than the recommended amount of sleep. Would you all agree with that? Yeah, and you probably by choice, right? Yeah, I understand that. Seven out of ten college students don't get adequate sleep, and that's probably not by choice because you're up all night studying, right? Um, shocking number here. You ready? Sleep disorders cost the U.S. $411 billion annually. Sleep disorders. The reason being a lack of sleep causes all sorts of physical illness, problems, illnesses, other issues that, that are medical and have to be dealt with, which costs $411 billion annually. So here's my question this morning. Are you asleep? Hopefully not. I'm, I'm looking. I usually don't pay attention, but I'm paying attention today. I'm kidding. Not, not physically, okay? You should be getting plenty of sleep physically. If you're not getting enough sleep, I mean, really, for health reasons, you should get enough sleep. But what we're really talking today about is spiritual sleep, because here's the deal. A lack of physical sleep will cause you health problems. The opposite is true spiritually. Spiritual sleep will cause you spiritual health problems. And that's what we're looking at today as we continue this series through the book of Jonah. Jonah's asleep. He is running away from God, and it is going to cause he and those around him all sorts of problems, as we will see in today's passage. Jonah is running from God. We left him there last week. He is the real issue in today's passage, verses 4 through 16, 4 through 17, uh, is really the issue of backsliding. Uh, Christians. That's really what we're talking about today, but that is, that's kind of a churchy word, right? Backslidden. And so what does it really mean to be backslidden? That's what I want to start with. I believe Jonah is backslidden. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, a definition. If there's ever been a time in your life when you were more committed to God than you are now, then you are currently backslidden. Does that make sense? Can we agree on that? Because you have moved back from where you once were. The idea is we should progress spiritually. We should grow closer to Jesus every day. That is the case with Jonah. As a prophet of God, he is now running from God, so he is definitely further away from the Lord 
than he was at one point in his life. And so he is backslidden. He's running from God, trying to escape the assignment that God has given him. And so that's where we'll pick up. Last week, he began his journey uh, away from the Lord. We'll pick up in verse 4 of chapter 1 and read all the way through verse 16. The Lord hurled, so Jonah gets on a ship, headed to Tarshish, and then God's not going to let him go too far. He hurls, the Lord hurled a storm, a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on that sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, which all of us would be, right? He, they each cried out to his God, so they began to pray. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load, which is one of the first things you do if the ship begins to break apart in the midst of a storm. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down in the lowest part of the vessel. Everybody else is panicking. What is Jonah doing? He's sound asleep. So he's asleep both physically and as we'll see and have already seen, he's asleep spiritually as well. Jonah's sound asleep. Verse 6, the captain approached him and says, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we will know who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. So they cast lots and the, the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who's to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? Now, it's kind of important to note. They have no clue who he is or what he does. What's your business? Where are you from? What is your country? What people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid. And they said to him, what is, what is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea is getting worse and worse. And here's his answer. He said, pick me up and throw me overboard. There's no hope. No hope for me. Throw me into the sea so that it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm. And that is against you. Now that may be the first smart thing Jonah said since the beginning of this book. He's taking responsibility at least at this point, somewhat, for what's going on, for his sinful behavior. I am to blame, he says, for this violent storm. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land. They didn't want to throw him overboard, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because this man's life because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked Jonah up, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So at this point, you know, it's amazing. Jonah's a prophet of God, supposed to be delivering the message of God. But at this point in the story, everything in the story is obeying God except his prophet. I mean, the winds, the, the seas, even the, the, the pagans on the ship by the end of the story are obeying Yahweh. But Jonah, his God's prophet, is still running. He's in rebellion. He is facing a storm, and it is a storm that God has sent. But what we see is that Jonah is asleep to this storm and the effects of the storm. He's asleep physically, but more importantly, more detrimental to him, he's asleep spiritually. He is oblivious 
to the consequences of his actions. Now, by the end of this passage, he becomes very aware of the consequences. But at this point in the beginning, he is asleep. He is, he's oblivious. And there are a lot of Christians in the church today who are asleep to the consequences of their disobedience, who are living in disobedience. And so what we want to look at this morning, what I want to ask myself for all of us is, are you asleep spiritually? Are you awake, alert, and obedient to what God is calling you to do in your life? We're going to look at some characteristics of people who are asleep and see if you fall into any of these. See if there's anywhere that you need to improve in your walk with Christ and your obedience to Him. Number one, when you're asleep, you're oblivious to the peril of others, which Jonah is. Backslidden, that word when somebody's backslidden, which Jonah is, that everyone around you is going to be effective. Don't believe the lie that your sin just hurts you. Even if it's only bringing you physical harm, it hurts people that care about you. And sin has a way of spreading. The consequences have a way of affecting other people, which is exactly what happens in this passage today, right? Jonah's running from God. He thinks no one knows. No one on this ship knows who I am. Nobody's going to know where I'm going, what I'm running from. He thinks he's in the clear. But pretty soon, everybody on the ship is paying for his rebellion. Everybody in that storm is suffering the consequences for Jonah's disobedience. And that's usually how it works when we disobey. God. They are in the midst of a storm. Now, if we look around us today, as I've said, and I, you know, statistics bear this out in a lot of different categories, uh, I believe that, that many Christians are asleep today. I mean, just think about the, the hot-button debated topics in our society today. Things just in recent years. Same-sex marriage legalized just a few years ago. Uh, and, and if we're not careful... Okay, we got to this point in our church, and there's a reason we, in our country and in the church as well, but there's a reason we got here, but if we're not careful, pretty soon we as a church are not going to be able to function as we do today because we're going to begin to be limited if we don't begin to perform same-sex marriages or hire homosexual individuals. The, the government, if we don't watch it, will begin to attack the church by taking things like nonprofit status away are fining us for not doing things that are considered equal rights. Now listen, we need to approach this with love, okay? I mean, we, we're all sinners, okay? And that's a sin just like any other. If you told a lie, you're just as guilty of sin as the person who practices that lifestyle. But if we as a church, if we as Christians don't take a stand for the biblical view of marriage, promote it, teach it, and begin actively pursuing people and helping them get restored and redeemed by the blood of Christ from this, then those are the things that we're going to be facing. But as in the past, and if we're not careful, if we move into the future, if we stay asleep to this, then we're going to be in trouble. Other issues that we face today, the issue of abortion has been around for years and continues. Let me give you another statistic. As, as a recent Pew Research study shows, those who claim to be religious but don't associate with a particular denomination, which is pretty common, especially in the Bible Belt, they don't associate with a denomination but they claim to be followers of the Lord, they actually are mostly in favor of abortion with only 17% opposing it. A majority of Christians are still pro-life, but it's still such a controversial issue in the church. And listen, for the life of me, I cannot understand why. With all of the technological advances today, 
when you can look inside the mother's womb and see a living being, why this is an issue, I will never know, but it still is. It is a a hot-button issue. But here's the thing, folks. Here's where the church is asleep. We don't want to get involved in discussing it, and we we wouldn't know what to do with all of these babies if they were actually born. So are we pro-life enough to say, hey, give that child to me, and I'll take care of it? What are we going to do if we begin to turn the tide? Be pro-life, but also be pro-hey, let's take in the orphans and the widows and those who are in need. That's what the Bible tells us. But we're asleep in so many ways. What about the issue of pornography? Throwing a lot of numbers at you today, but these are are, are eye-opening. Over statistics just from 2017, 30,000 people watch pornography at any given second. It's on the computer in front of you. It's so easily accessible. Approximately 40 million people in the United States are sexually involved on the internet. 8% of emails, which equals about 2.5 billion emails, 25% of all search requests, which equals 68 million, and 35% of all downloads on the internet involve pornography. Over 20% of adults, and get this, over 80% of children are exposed to pornography by accident. 80% of our kids, unintentionally. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to pornography, either through pop-up ads or misdirected links. 20% of men and 13% of women admitted to accessing pornography at work. Okay, well, you say, oh, it's just people outside the church. Inside the church. National survey among churches. The survey conducted over the past five years revealed that 68% of Christian men and 50% of pastors view pornography on a regular basis. But even more shocking is that in that number, 11 to 17-year-old boys are the greatest users. Read an article not too long ago about how young couples are having issues in their marriage because boys and girls, but mostly boys, are going into the relationship with such a distorted view of sexuality that their intimacy in their marriage, it's almost impossible for it to be healthy because of what I just read to you. Now, in many ways, we like to ignore these things, right? We don't like to discuss these issues at parties. We don't like to, do, to get into debates with people. And I'm not saying you should try to argue people's opinions to change their opinions. But what we have to do is that lovingly, we have to... I mean, these are issues that are black and white in Scripture. These are things that we know the difference between right and wrong. So we as Christians, will we stay asleep or will we be willing to take a stand for what we know is right? Now listen, I want you, everybody to hear me today, okay? You've heard me for the past few minutes kind of jump up and down on these issues, all right? But I want you to hear me today, everybody. If you've struggled with one of these issues or you have been involved with one of these things, I want you to hear me that God is a God of love and he is a God of forgiveness And that we love you. This church is a hospital for the sick. We're not a hotel for the healthy. We want to love you. We want you to know that you can be restored and that none of us are perfect, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we want to help you get right with God. We're not... We're not trying to make you feel bad about what you've done or feel like you're not, not worthy or not, not useful to God or that God, he absolutely loves you. But hear me also, we can't 
condone this type of thing because if we continue to be asleep to these issues, the church in America will not exist as it does today. We're asleep, so will we stay asleep? Or will we wake up and will we engage some of these things? Vance Havner once said, the problem with Baptist churches in America is that we're a nonprofit organization. We don't have any profits anymore. We don't have people that in love are willing to speak the truth, which is exactly Jonah's problem, right? He's a prophet of God, but he is not doing the job of a prophet. He's not willing to deliver the message of God. Jonah faced this storm. He's asleep. He's callous. As a result... Everyone around him's hurting and they're suffering. And if we stay asleep to some of the things that we face in America today as a church, it's going to begin to hurt more and more people. It already is, but it's going to hurt more and more people from an eternal perspective. So we have to be willing to obey the Lord, to stand on the truth in our culture. The captain of the ship comes to Jonah. He's still asleep. And there's something to know here. Jonah should have been leading the way. Instead, he was the last person on the ship to pray. Yeah, I'm a poet and don't know it, right? But think about it. I want you to remember that. He should, as God, because so many of us are guilty of it, he should have been leading the way, calling on Jehovah. Everybody else is praying, which is, you know, gives credence to the phrase, no atheists in foxholes, right? They all begin to pray to whoever, but who's the last person? I mean, Jonah... He's overboard, and he still hasn't prayed. He still hasn't turned to the Lord, and he's God's prophet. How many of us can fall into that category, can be described that way, that we are known as believers, but people don't see it in our lives. We're asleep spiritually. The truth is your sin never... Some people are so afraid of taking a stand, and some people are so afraid of even sharing the gospel because they're afraid, oh, I may offend somebody. I, they may not like me if, I, if they realize I'm a Christian or if I don't agree with this, this issue or this lifestyle or whatever. But in eternity, let me tell you, those people are going to be looking at you saying, where were you? Why didn't you tell me the truth? Are we asleep? Are we willing to wake up to the reality that exists around us? Because your sin never hurts you. Others are affected. Your family, your friends, people around you that look to you to see if you really are who you say you are. If you believe what you say you believe. But when you're asleep, you're oblivious to that. Second characteristic. When you're asleep, you'll lose your testimony, which Jonah absolutely did. Look at verse 8. What do they ask him? They say, hey, what's your occupation? The reason they had to ask him because they never would have known by watching him. They never would have known that he was a prophet of God just by observing his life. He's, he's, he's laying low. He's asleep. I mean, the prophet of God, you look through Scripture, any follower of Christ, it should be evident by the way that they live that they are who they are, that they, are, they belong to Christ. But if you look at Jonah, I mean, you can't tell. And that's why they have to ask him, who are you? They're trying to figure out why all this is going on. But we're told in Scripture that we as followers of Christ are to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to stand out. Look at Matthew 5.13. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Here's what happened to Jonah. First of all, he's lost his saltiness. He's lost his, his witness, his testimony. You'd never know that he was a prophet of God by looking at him. For one thing, he's lost all of his spiritual energy. 
He, he can't be a testimony for the Lord. He can't be salty because he's, I mean, he's lost his energy. He's asleep physically and spiritually. He was sleeping while this storm was raging. And, and we see in Proverbs 24, 33 and 34, we're warned about this. This is one of the effects of being asleep spiritually. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. The results of spiritual sleep is, is that you lose your desire to do anything for the Lord, evidently physically too. And so he's asleep, he's lost his testimony, and he had also lost the voice of God. Now go back to verse 2 in chapter 1. God speaks directly to Jonah in verse 2. Now look at today's passage. Is God speaking in today's passage? Absolutely, he's speaking. Is he speaking directly to Jonah? No. Jonah said, you know what, God, I hear you, but I'm ignoring. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. And so now God is speaking. He's speaking through everybody around Jonah, but he's not speaking to Jonah. This is one of the effects of being asleep spiritually, losing your testimony, is that the voice of God will become silent in your life. If God tells you to do something, if he tells me to do something and I I disobey and I I continue in that disobedience, he's not going to tell me something else until I obey him and what he's already told me. And that's what's happening with Jonah. The voice of God has become silent. He can't hear God because he's disobedient. In addition, Jonah's lost his power in prayer. If there's no power in your prayer life, that's one of the first signs that you've backslidden, that you've walked away from the Lord. Because Jonah, in order for his, his prayer life to become healthy again, he's going to have to confess his sin. He's going to have to pray, as the psalmist says in Psalmist 16, 66, verse 18, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Jonah's got to do some confessing. Loss of, of power in prayer is one of the first indications that we're far away from the Lord. Verse 8, the sailors begin to question him. The captain's already questioned him, right? Verse 6, they begin to question him. Who are you? What do you do? In verse 10, they say, what have you, why have you done this? The reason, because he's lost his testimony. He's lost all testimony. Now, the Bible tells us that we are to be a mirror that reflects the character and the glory of God. This isn't on the screen. It's not in your notes, but you can just listen along. In 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, we read this. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. That's key. If we've had the veil removed, we've been forgiven of sin, we've been redeemed. Now we can see the glory of God in our lives. We should. And we can reflect the glory of God so others can see it. The Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His image. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you an illustration of this, but I actually need some help this morning. So do I have a brave soul that would be willing to, to volunteer and help me out? Anybody? Come on, don't be, don't be ashamed. You game? Yeah, she was pointing at you. That's right, she was offering you up. Come on up. Absolutely. Joe Little. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate you, man. Come on up. Joe's going to come help us. And I'm going to show you what this verse is talking about, okay? Yeah, 
Well, that's part of the illustration, so just close your eyes if you have to. Watch your step coming up there, Joe. I don't want you to get hurt, okay? It's a little treacherous. All right, so here's what we're going to do to begin with, all right? Appreciate you helping me out. First thing, just grab anything on that table and anything you want, all right? So an apple, all right? What do we look in mirrors for? To check ourselves out, right? Okay, so what do you see when you look into the mirror? <laughs> A handsome devil holding an apple, right? That's right. Yeah, that's a, you don't have to be modest. That's okay. All right, so I, I use this just to say, now some of us look in the mirror and we say, man, I'm, I'm eating right. I'm taking care of myself. I'm not making any insinuations either way about you. For one thing, you're a lot bigger than I am and I don't want to cause any problems, okay? I love Joe. So, but, but right, we, we look in the mirror, we kind of assess ourselves and we say, okay, you know, I'm, I need, I'm eating right or whatever. Okay, put that down, pick up something else, whichever one you want. All right, what do you see now? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was going to use a five, but my wife switched it out on me, okay, because it was her $5 bill. All right, so some of us look in the mirror and we see, okay, I want to be successful. I want to make a lot of money. I want to do whatever it takes to be successful, right? You know, that's just, that's your main motivation. Or based on what you wear, he said he sees a broke individual based on the way you look or how you view yourself. Right? I'm either I have a lot or I don't have a lot or, or whatever the case may be. All right, pick up the last thing. We're going to use them all. And what is that? Things that make me look like yeah. <laughs> that is, how many of you have a little Debbie weakness? I know I do. Mine is oatmeal cream pies, but this is what I chose. It's colorful. It's a brownie. Some people look in the mirror, they say, hey, I'm eating right, I'm healthy. Other people look in the mirror and they say, I need to eat right, I need to be healthy. And again, I'm not saying that you're that, that guy, but we, it, de- it depends, right? It depends on what you see. Now, I want you to put that down and I want you to grab this. We're gonna, the Bible tells us we're to be the salt of the earth. It tells us also that we're to be the light of the world, right? We're to reflect the glory, the light of Christ, all right? And that's what this is. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to point it directly into the mirror. Now, what do you see? <laughs> you see a bright light. So, okay, if we do as the verse says, when we look in the mirror, we should see the character of Christ reflected, the glory of Christ reflected. We should see in some way, more and more each day, the glory of Christ. But here's another cool part of this verse. Do it again, and I'm not going to shine it in your face again. I'm going to try not to. I did, didn't I? All right, here's the other part. If I'm reflecting the glory of God, I'm also going to reflect it to others. There you go, Tim. I'm going to reflect it to other people. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I could do this for a while. Other people will see the reflection, right? Isn't that what the verse says? If I'm reflecting the glory of God, not only will I see it, but other people will see it. If I'm asleep like Jonah, no one will have a clue that I belong to Christ. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you, man. You have a seat now. Y'all give Joe a hand. Here's a truth that we all need to understand, that we need to learn. The world expects Christians to act like Christians. They may not know all of what that means, but they know enough. They expect us to act like Christians, but too many people are asleep and they've lost their testimony. If you're dissatisfied with the state of the church today, if you're dissatisfied with the morals of our country, if you want somebody to blame, look in the mirror because it's the church's fault. We've lost our saltiness. We've lost our testimony. I'm not saying everybody. I know there are exceptions, but overall... The church does not have the influence that it once has had because we're asleep spiritually. 
We've lost our testimony, and that is exactly where Jonah is in our passage today. Third characteristic, and this is where we'll stop. When you're asleep, you'll suffer the consequences. If you stay asleep, there are going to be consequences. And here the consequences are is that there's a, a, a storm raging. The people ask Jonah, they say, what should we do? And Jonah's answer is, throw me overboard. Now last week he's running because he hates the Ninevites so much he would rather they die than hear the message of salvation, the message of repentance, judgment and repentance that God gave him. Now he's so desperate and so rebellious that he would rather he himself die than go deliver the message to the Ninevites. Now listen, again, scary people, scary, scary assignment, dangerous assignment. But God's obviously not going to let him go. Instead of turning back to God and asking for forgiveness, he says, just throw me overboard. I'd rather die than do what God's asked me to do. You talk about rebellious. It reminds me of a story uh, that I read a long time ago. It's one of those older stories. A preacher asked the guy, visited the guy that hadn't been in church for a while. He asked him, he said, why haven't you been in church? He said, well, listen, those people at church are, have just been mean to me. They just, they're hateful. They're not nice to me. And so I'm just not going to go anywhere. And then the preacher says, well, I tell you what, why don't you just go home and beat your wife over it? The guy looks at him like some of you just looked at me, and I'm not promoting that, obviously. But he says, and especially not on Mother's Day, right? <laughs> But, but the guy looks at him, he says, why would I do that to my wife? She hasn't done anything to me, nothing at all. The guy says, well, has the Lord Jesus done anything to you? The preacher asks him, he said, well, of course not. And he said, well, why would you forsake God because God's people have been mean to you? That makes about as much sense as getting angry at the dog and kicking the cat. Don't recommend that either, by the way. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Jonah, everybody's suffering. Jonah's running from the Lord, and he says, you know, instead of, instead of getting right with God, he says, just throw me overboard. I'd rather die. You know, his, his actions are irrational. I mean, everybody's being punished because of his disobedience. And instead of, instead of ministering in the way that the Lord calls him to do, he's saying, no, I'd just, rather, I'd, I'd just soon continue. But here's the thing. Charles Spurgeon once said, God never allows his children to sin successfully. He'll let you go for a little while, as he did with Jonah, but eventually he's going to do whatever it takes to get your attention, okay? He's going to do whatever it takes, which he does with Jonah. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. I mean, just as parents discipline their kids because they love them, God's going to discipline his children if they disobey. But here's how God works. He doesn't send the storm immediately. You know, he didn't send the storm the minute Jonah bought the ticket. He, he gives you a little bit of, he lets you go, right? If I stop reading my Bible, he doesn't send a prophet, or he doesn't align the stars to say, okay, begin reading your Bible tonight. That's not how God works. If I stop praying, he doesn't cause a huge tragedy to get me to start praying again. At first, he doesn't do that. God gives us the ability to act and choose as we want. And he'll let you go for a little while. He'll let you make those bad decisions, and he'll let you suffer the consequences for those bad decisions. He'll give you the opportunity to turn back to him on your own. But if you persist, as Jonah did, that's when he gets forceful. See, God lets us go a little bit. But if you continue in disobedience, eventually he will send the storm in your life. 
and he'll do whatever it takes to get you to wake up and to turn back to him. Jonah, he let him go a little ways, but he continues in disobedience. And by the end of the story, where does Jonah end up? Look at verse 17. He's in the belly of the fish. He's overboard. He's in the belly of the fish. God still hasn't let him go completely, but he is, he's in a bad situation. Instead of trying to ride it out, when God does finally send that storm, if you're that disobedient, God sends a storm, here's what we need to do. We need to pray like David did in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me, because we can't always tell, right? I mean, we're imperfect. We're human. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That should be our prayer all the time, not just when the storm's raging because of our disobedience. If we want to be right with God, we should pray that all the time. An important truth, another important truth we need to realize is that God is still going to accomplish his purposes with or without us, even if his children choose to be disobedient. God's still going to do what he's going to do, okay? And Jonah learned that lesson here today. God is going to fulfill his plan for his kingdom. Here's the thing. You can choose to obey him and be a part of that and experience all the blessings of fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Or you, like Jonah, can disobey and you can suffer the consequences and miss out on the blessings of being a part of God's work. Look at verse 16 again. Jonah 1. The men fear the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows now is this during the storm or after it's after the storm Jonah's overboard the seas the winds are calm and 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 what do the people on the ship do they they first they fear the Lord and then they have a worship service not to those gods they were praying to before but they worship Jehovah they, how do they worship him? And how do, they, how do I know it's Jehovah? Well, the language says it, the original language. But, but more than that, they make a sacrifice to Jehovah, which is the Jewish means of approaching God in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. So in an ironic way, think about this. God's prophets overboard. They didn't, hear, they didn't get any testimony from him other than that he was a disobedient prophet. But Even though Jonah's been disobedient, God's already accomplishing his purpose. I I believe this is evidence that they've converted. They are now worshiping the one and only true God. They've gone to praying to whatever gods they knew about. Now they're worshiping and making sacrifices to Jehovah, to Yahweh. It didn't have anything to do with Jonah. He's disobedient. But even in the midst of his disobedience, God still is fulfilling his purpose of bringing people to himself. A lesson for all of us. God will do what he's going to do. In my life, in your life, in the life of this church, he will do it. He can do it through the obedience of his people as we see him do later as Jonah finally takes the message to the Ninevites they hear they repent they get right with God in that case Jonah gets to experience the blessings of being obedient but in this moment you see Jonah when he was confronted with all of this he could have right there on that ship I believe fallen to his knees, asked for forgiveness. God would have forgiven him. All of these people still would have come to know the one and true living God, and Jonah could have celebrated with them. Instead, he's over the ship in the belly of a fish. He can do it through our obedience, and we get to experience the blessings, be a part of it, or he can do it through our disobedience, and he'll use somebody else, and we get to miss the blessing of being a part of his work for his kingdom.
The choice is ours. Will we listen and obey or will we fall asleep and stay asleep? Will we miss the opportunity to serve the Lord? I got, I got some examples of some famous missed opportunities. I want to close out with this, all right? Kodak, digital and digital cameras. You know, Kodak, film, camera business, well-known camera name for years, right? Well, when digital cameras were first introduced in 1975, they had the opportunity to, to get involved in this. The company decided, though, that there wasn't a market for digital cameras, and they didn't pursue it any further. They presented the opportunity to get involved on the front end. They said, you know what? It's not going to work. We're not interested. About 15 years after that decision, in the mid-'90s, the digital camera took over the camera industry. As a result, Kodak struggled through the 90s, 2000. They went bankrupt in 2012. All because of a missed opportunity, all right? Blockbuster. Y'all remember Blockbuster, right? Yeah, some of us used to go to Blockbuster on Friday nights or whatever, right? Don't have to do that anymore. In the 1990s and early 2000s, Blockbuster dominated the industry. They had the, get this, how many of you have Netflix? Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix on the front end for $50 million and they turned it down. Now, where's Blockbuster now? Any Blockbusters around here? No, not many. They quickly, Netflix grew, Blockbuster ended up going out of business by 2013. Western Union, here's one dated a little bit. Western Union is now a money transfer company. Originally, it was a telegraph company. They had, and it had the opportunity to buy the patent for the telephone from Alexander Graham Bell for $100,000, but decided to pass on the opportunity. The telephone replaced the telegraph, as we all know. Western Union, too late to enter the telephone market, changed its focus, and is now a money transfer business. They missed that opportunity. Bell went on to dominate the telephone industry, was broken up by AT&T, but they had the opportunity to get involved. Decca Records, you may have heard this before. In 1961, the Beatles weren't very well known. They performed for a company called Decca Records, and they decided to sign someone else. Soon after, the Beatles ended up becoming the best-selling band in the world, completely changed the music industry. Decca remains pretty much unknown. You may have heard that story. You may have never heard of them, and there's a reason, because they missed that. How about M&Ms? I like M&Ms. You like M&Ms? You may or may not have known this. The movie E.T. Originally, Steven Spielberg wanted to use M&Ms. M&Ms, you know, they, the Mars company turned them down, and they went with Reese's Pieces. As we all know, Elliot lures E.T. out of hiding with Reese's Pieces. And because of that, Reese's Pieces had a boost of 65% in sales, and now they're a major competitor with M&Ms. Probably wouldn't have been the case. And Eminem said yes. Those are industries. Those are businesses. How about on a personal level? Here's one. I'm holding an, a, an Apple device today. How many of you have an Apple device in your pocket, in your purse? Okay. Have you ever heard the name Ronald Wayne? Some of you have. Some of you probably haven't. Okay. Ronald Wayne. Apple was founded in 1976. Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak founded the company. But there was a third founder. And his name was Ronald Wayne. He received stock worth 10% of the company as a founder, but he sold it within two weeks of receiving that stock. He got scared. He backed out. He sold it for $800 because he was afraid the company would fail. 
Since then, of course, as I, I mean, most of us have Apple products, his stock today would be worth over $50 billion. You talk about missed opportunities. <laughs> Those are enough to make you sick to your stomach, aren't they? Missed opportunities. And you listen. You know, those are obviously usually revolve around success and money. But how many opportunities do we miss on a given day because of fear, because of uncertainty, because of, hey, we want to offend somebody? How many opportunities do we miss because we know God's wanting us to do something, but we choose this isn't the right time. I'm too busy. I just don't want to do it. We fall into the category, whether willfully and openly disobeying God or just because, you know, maybe a little more passively, but we still fall into the category of Jonah. How many opportunities are we going to miss? Because again, I say God's going to accomplish his purposes. The, the, the end of the story is clear. God's going to fulfill his plan for his kingdom on earth and in heaven. The question is, will we choose to be a part of it or will we miss the opportunity? Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me encourage you, learn from the example of God's grace toward these sailors. Again, I believe with all my heart that by the end of this story, they're worshiping Jehovah. Their lives have been transformed. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you can call on the name of Christ. You can come to him on the basis of his sacrifice, his death on the cross, his resurrection. The once and for all sacrifice for your sins for all time. You can come to him. You can receive salvation. You can be right with God and begin this journey that we're all on as followers of Christ and becoming more like him and accomplishing his purposes for his kingdom. What's the, what's the choice going to be? Again, today's Mother's Day, and a lot of you here today, you know, have, have kids that are small. Some of you have kids that are grown. And I'm, on Mother's Day, I think about, you know, in, in my younger years, I've shared a little bit, and I don't, I'm not going to go into great detail, but in my younger years, I, I went through a period of time, as a lot of kids do, I was pretty rebellious, and I did a lot of things that, that I knew were not right, okay? A later part of high school, first couple years of college, um, my mom always was just a solid, constant prayer warrior and presence in my life. But here's the thing, and listen, this is a story of warning. One of the reasons I don't share a whole lot of details is because I don't ever want to brag on Satan and, and make anybody think that, hey, you can do whatever you want, and then you can still end up being a preacher or doing whatever, because a lot of the friends that I was with during that day and time didn't make it, aren't alive today, and one or two of them are in prison today, okay? So this is a cautionary tale, but he, whenever I was going through that time, more times than not, I would do something wrong, and I would always get caught. Uh, something I pray for for my kids. If they're going to do something wrong, they will absolutely. I mean, really, I, it was uncanny. I mean, other people seem to be getting away with stuff, but I would always get caught. And time after time after time, my mom would tell me, she'd say, Alan, you, you probably need to think about doing something different because you always get caught. But she would also tell me this, and this stuck with me to this day. She would tell me, the reason you keep getting caught is because God obviously has a plan for your life. <laughs> and listen, I didn't believe it in the day. I didn't want to hear it at that time. But now, as a 42-year-old father of four, looking back at those words of wisdom, boy, was she right. Now, thankfully, one day I woke up 
God sent my own storm in my life. I woke up. I got right with him and the desire. I'm not perfect. I haven't always perfectly followed it. But the overwhelming desire of my heart is to follow God's plan for my life. Because I don't want any more storms. And I want to be a part of what he's doing in his kingdom, in this community, in my family, and throughout the world. I don't want to miss that opportunity, do you? There's your question. Will you be a part of it, or will you miss the opportunity? Are you going to stay awake and active in God's kingdom work, or will you go to sleep and miss out on the blessings of knowing and being a part of what God's doing? Let's pray together. Father, we know that it is only by your grace, that we get to be a part of your kingdom work. It is only because of your love and your mercy that any of us are here today, that we're alive. You, God, who made the land and the sea that we've read about this morning, you control it all. We're only here today because we're only alive because you allow us to be alive. And Father, if there's somebody here today in this room who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would recognize who you are as God of the universe and recognize that in your mercy and grace, you are offering them a way to be saved, to receive salvation, that Jesus, you gave your life on the cross, that you were raised from the dead so that we too could experience salvation, that they would come to you on the basis of that work and receive the forgiveness that only you can offer. Lord, I pray for those of us who are your followers that we, if we're asleep to what you're doing, what you're asking us to do, I pray that we would wake up today, that we would get right with you and that we would go about serving you faithfully. And Lord, I pray for those that are attempting to do that daily, that you would just continue to provide your strength and that we would experience the joys and the blessings of being a part of your work. Even though we may not always see the results of what we're doing, that we would just experience the joy of being right with you, of having fellowship with you as we do your work. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts in this moment. Help us to respond in a way that pleases you during this time of commitment. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?